Hi, this is Doug Jones, and you're listening to Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Sci-Fi Saturday Night. We will begin a mass invasion. We'll tell your people to surrender now and avoid war. Don't think you can be so easily. It is now time for us to put Earth under our roof. It's your sacred duty to tell us the truth. Confess, confess, and we will give you witchcraft. You expect me to believe that you can overrun the entire world? We cannot be defeated. We have never been defeated. That is the message to bring your people. Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. Five by Saturday night. Welcome to yet another Area 51 recording of Sci-Fi Saturday Night, the only podcast to guarantee that if you listen, you hear stuff. Sometimes you hear weird stuff. Sometimes you hear stuff and then spaces and then words and then other stuff that makes no sense. Tonight, we're going to try and make a little bit of sense, so we'll see what happens. It's episode 462, that's that that's a crap load. And uh, we're walking into a new world that isn't really a new world, and we'll explain what I mean by that, kind of, sort of. We're still in pandemic show mode, but uh, it's a good day to be a good day today. Uh, the news was good. Uh, yeah, thank you, Dr. Fauci. That's all I have to say is thank you, Dr. Fauci. Thank you, uh, Uncle Joe. Yeah. Yeah, but still, there's a need for social distancing. The inner tubes are still clogged. Uh, the World Wide Web is still a mess. Difficult to get a signal when we can get it. So we're still using our paired back cast and uh, hoping for the best or whatever. Some point, Cam will get used to my taunts, and then we'll have to reprocess them because everybody knows that Soylent Green is human. Everybody knows that. In the Area 51 broadcast facility tonight, it's just me and and Captain Cam, who has been kept in suspense all day, because today is Chocolate Milk Day. He just doesn't know why it's Chocolate Milk Day yet. But if I was him, I would have locked his door before the recording began, and he didn't. Hey, Cam, how you doing? <laughs> you know, I'm a little worried here, because if Soylent Green is human beings... I don't want to know what you're making chocolate milk out of here because there's no cows down here in Area 51. And there's your door is there's some door, really interesting alien creatures out there. In those and your door isn't locked, is it? I know it for a fact because I yeah, but I, I I got my chair against the door. Trust me. <laughs> you know, as they say here in Area 51. You look around, but very few people actually look up. And that's the mistake. So, about tonight's guest. Every once in a while, we get to ask stupid questions. And tonight, we have Jen Landles with us. Hey, Jen, welcome to Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Hey there, glad to be here. Okay, you say that now, but we've just barely begun. 
you may not. Well, I'm not. I'm not in the studio with you guys, so I'm safe from the chocolate milk. You are safe from the chocolate milk, and you don't have to worry about looking at it. Now, normally, normally, I would ask by by asking a stupid question, and I'm going to, because you are a multifaceted woman, you which is which is. Greek or or Spanish or something for you do a lot of stuff, a whole lot of stuff. Tonight we're going to talk about a lot of stuff that you do. But the question that I wanted to ask, well, first first I wanted to ask was which came first, the chicken or the egg? But I realized that that was a dumb question and you wouldn't know the answer to that. But what you would know the answer to and why you would know the answer to this is really cool is is the pen truly mightier than the sword well <laughs> how much time do you have <laughs> i have all the time you need to answer that and the reason is not only are you a wonderful writer and and do you you weave these wonderful fantasy tales that we're going to talk about but you are also a a a a master swords person and teacher and and you teach sword craft uh in 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 canada at a number of schools and and you do these insane uh, and 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 horse horsemanship and and and, and I, as I read your biography, I'm trying to figure out what the hell don't you do? What What is the question you can't answer, which is, which came first, the chicken or the egg? But I do think you can answer, is the pen truly mightier than the sword? So how did, how did someone who writes as the way you write get into sword play? Um, I, I have always loved swords. When I was... You know, when I was a little kid, I used to pick up sticks and pretend they were swords. I used to, uh, you know, sword fight with my best friend using riding crops at the barn when we were growing up. Um, I've I've always loved swords. Uh, And I did a little bit of classical fencing in university. I did a little bit of wushu sword um, in my 20s. Uh, Wushu, uh, sort of uh, the... Tai Chi sword and the Kung Fu style sword. Um, so the Chinese martial art. Okay. Way too um, cool. <laughs> um, but that, that, those were mostly display forms. So it wasn't actual sword fighting. Um, and then I guess it was about 2008, I guess. Um, I, uh, I found Academy Duello and I was actually researching for a novel that I only have just gotten around to writing it, starting to write in the last couple of years, but I was researching a novel um, set in 17th century France and I Googled 17th century rapier and Academy Duello came up and I went, what? There's a school where I can actually learn to use this and it's in Vancouver where I live. I mean, it was just too good to be true. So, um, 
I I saw them at the Peony doing a little demo. Peonies like our uh, our local sort of fall fair, agricultural fair, um, and they were doing a demo. And so we got to put our hands on swords um, and got a free trial lesson card. So I dragged my partner down to the studio. He he was kind of reluctant. He, he didn't want to go at first. Uh, he wanted to go, but then he didn't want to sign up because it was like, oh, it's like every Saturday and uses up Saturdays. Um, but uh, that was... Um, that was what I guess uh, twelve years ago, um, oh, and uh, I'm I, you know he, he's still taking classes by on Zoom, uh, and uh, I'm I became a teacher and then in about 2010, I said uh, to the director of Academy Duello, Devin Borman, I said, well, you know you have swords and I have horses, uh, you know we should do something with both of those together. So we came up with the Mount Combat program, uh, which I started running back in 2010, and so that was a decade ago. Um, but as to your question, um, it's a question of range. So the pen, the pen is a long-range weapon. The sword is for up close and personal, but you know, anything farther than about three feet away, you're better off with a pen. And now you know, don't. I am so fascinated that you took that 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 age old question and turned it into your life's work. <laughs> that's that's that to me is almost Socratic in in its in its in its life story in that as as i as i began to research you as as we do around here because i like to get to know who i'm talking to before i get to know who i'm talking to if that makes any sense whatsoever no okay good <laughs> uh, and i'm sitting there and i'm seeing pictures of you on horseback with a sword dueling at Cornwall Ridge Farm. Yep. Uh, coordinating the Cavalry Mounted Combat Program. Yep. Wow. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, she's doing this. She's writing fantasy. She's the managing editor of a magazine uh, that is, by any appearance, uh, by, I'm oh, sorry, by all appearances, just wacko nuts fun uh and cam is going to talk about that for a little bit uh and it's called pulp literature uh a quarterly magazine that is just uh more fun than than than, than cats on a kit uh, than than uh the socks on a kitten uh <laughs> And and you still find time to breathe. Nice going. Barely, barely. Holy crap! <laughs> and and you and you have a family and and you're doing all this stuff and you teach, and 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 
and you're a musician and a dancer. I mean, how? Okay, first of all, how could you not fence and be a swords person, swords woman, swords person? Tell me. Um, either is fine. Okay, and not be a dancer. Are they not the same forms of the same thing? Kind of. I mean, if you know, if you were in the 17th century, which again is the time period I was, uh, I've been writing in lately. Uh, that was what you were not a complete gentleman unless you could ride and sword fight and dance. Wow, and, I, was, I would have been a dead gentleman <laughs> <laughs> by any stretch of the imagination. Oh my God! Um, the ballet started in the 17th century. It was in the court of the Sun King Louis the Fourteenth. Was was pretty much where ballet got its beginnings. Um, as sort of a, a formalized dance type of dance form. Um, and uh, yeah, so that was all part of your complete education as a as a nobleman was learning to ride, learning to sword fight and learning to dance. How did you, you, you notice there are these big pauses here. And these big pauses here are happening because I am gestating what I'm hearing and trying to figure out what it is I want. Because there's like a gazillion things I want to ask. I want to ask about the books, but I don't want to ask about them yet. <laughs> <laughs> ah, you're driving me crazy. Uh, and I'm loving it. I hope you're having fun so far. How, how did you how did you end up in the 17th century? Um, I was kind of I, I kind of went there in a sort of perverse way because when I was in university, um, that was my least favorite time period of literature. I I have a bachelor's in in medieval well in English literature, and then I was working on my PhD in medieval English literature, and then I dropped that to join a rock band. But when I was in an undergrad, my least favorite time period as far as English literature went was the 17th century. I mean, I think that's Milton's fault. Um, I just, I hated Milton. Um, the, you know, the poets like Blake and things like that were okay. But I, I liked I liked Elizabethan literature. I liked Regency literature. I liked Victorian literature. I just did not like the 17th century, and then I decided, um, this was at, you know, sometime in the mid-2000s, I decided I was going to force myself into that century, and I was going to find out more about it, and I fell in love with it. And it was just, I guess I just needed it not taught in university. I needed to find out about it, you know, for myself. So Understood. Totally yeah. understood. Yeah, it was the same way with me, and... and uh, science fiction in general and uh i just it was one of those things where um if i had had it taught to me it would have never worked i i would just uh, walk into my father's library and we go take what you want and i did and i was reading uh um, um Heinlein and, and Clark and, and, and uh, Bradbury 
at like nine and ten years old, and he's he he was smiling hysterically. <laughs> he goes, "Good, good choice. Let me know what else you'd like." Oh yeah, because the the science fiction they taught us in high school was was horrifyingly bad. Oh, oh, the chrysalids! Did you have to do that one? I hate oh, that. Book. Oh my god! <laughs> and, and they they forced me to read Ursula again, and fifteen years later I reread it and I went, "Why did I hate it back then?" Because they, they forced, forced me to read it. Apparently, Ugh. I'm the only one on this call that had an amazing teacher. Thank you, Miss Epstein. Um, for uh, who did an amazing job. Yeah, I'm going to give her a shout out right now because this woman inspired my love of fantasy. And, well, that my father, but inspired my love of fantasy and science fiction. And she introduced me to quite a few of those people that you you just spoke about, Dome. So apparently now I'm feeling very lucky to have had her as a teacher. Very lucky because most lit teachers, especially in high school, um, and I know because I was one and I tried like hell not to be like all the ones I had were just horrible. (laughs) I actually had, I had really good English teachers in high school. Um, But the problem was the curriculum because they had to teach, you know, it's not the teachers, it's the curriculum. What they're forced to teach. Yeah. Yeah. But I did like in grade eight, I had an amazing uh, teacher, Miss Miltimore, who, uh, you know, I wrote a scathing critique of the red pony by John Steinbeck. And, uh, and that was the first essay I did in her class. And so from that point on, she just assigned me different books. So, you know, I was doing Great Expectations. And uh, she's the one who gave me Have Space Suit Will Travel. Nice. Yeah. Oh. So you do get the ones who, who can kind of see that maybe you're, you're, you shouldn't be reading The Outsiders with everybody else. <laughs> Somehow I see Hinton wasn't for everyone. Yeah. <laughs> Can you talk a little bit about your relationship with Scott Fitzgerald Gray? Oh, I've known Scott since high school. Um, we we met at a, uh, a Dungeons and Dragons. Well, I couldn't call it a convention. It was kind of just a gaming event. So he was in Hundred Mile. Uh, I was from Ashcroft, which is um, a little ways away. Uh, so my group of gamers, um, we went up to 100 Mile to do this sort of, you know, group gaming thing where they had like a whole bunch of DMs and and different tables, and we we met uh, we met their group of people who became you know some of my best friends still are. Um, you know, gamed on and off through university together and e- even uh, up till, well, we were, we were, in, we were even gaming o- online after uh, everybody sort of moved away uh, until I started doing swordplay in real life. And that took all my time away from the gaming table. So, but I think, uh, you know, Scott is still, is still running campaigns as well with, with, our friends who are in Toronto and elsewhere around. So what influence did Scott have to do with this new series of books that you've put together? Am I, am I leading you correctly here? So um, (laughs) basically the world that this is set in is a world that he created 
for um, for D and D campaign, and it was the world that uh, you know we were we were running around in. Um, and but I have I have gone seriously off script with it. I mean, I, <laughs> I've, and and with his permission, you know, like it's it's like you know, can I set this in in here? Is this can I use some of your characters? Can I use your world? And it's like, yeah, go for it. Um, and he writes in this world as well. He has a series. He has several novels out um, set in the same landscape with some of the same characters. Um, but we, um, like I said, I, I, you know, I kind of just took it and, and ran off in my own direction and, uh, you know, messed up his world considerably, probably. He hasn't told me so, but you know, <laughs> I'm sure I've done things that are that just are not canon. What what we're talking about is you are in the middle. I'm sorry, you are towards the end of a trilogy of books uh, called. Please help me. Elena's song. Elena's song. The first book was written in 2017. This uh, which was called. Overture. Uh, Overture, yeah. The second book was written in 2019, which was called Aria. The third book is due out shortly. 2021, yeah. Aria was actually released earlier this year. It came out 2020. Okay. Um, And Overture was actually written much earlier than 2017. Um, It was was finished... um, It was finished sort of... 2012 or thereabouts but uh, it was published in parts uh, I serialized it yeah we serialized it in pulp literature um, why, did, then, why did you do that by the way is it just the way you wanted to do it or did um, it just kind of work well, out that way or it worked for Dickens uh, you and, know. but he got paid by the word yeah <laughs> but um, it's it was I mean it had to do with the way the magazine came together in that, you know, we were three of us were all writers. We all had, you know, we all had books um, that hadn't found a home, but, and short fiction in the case of Susan. Um, And we all, you know, we were all sitting around on Mel's porch drinking beer and I'm not going to say the beer had a lot to do with it, but you know, it probably did. Didn't hurt. (laughs) <laughs> it didn't hurt <laughs> and uh and you know like we knew a lot of well, of authors sort of local authors some some big names like um cc humphreys and jj lee uh and you know also sort of up and coming authors new authors and it's like we there's just not there are not enough markets in canada for short fiction um, for that type of magazine. And I'm a big fan, like, I, I love the magazine of fantasy and science fiction, and that was kind of my model uh, God, putting I this together. That magazine. Oh, it's the still magazine going. Of fantasy and science, well, kind of. Oh, it's just, it's, it's just, it's just every, you know, every two months instead of every month, but it's still. You know, when I was, and it, and it was, it was like just a little bit oversized book size. Yeah, and it was it was wonderful, and I, I can remember 
Oh, it's and it's it was around forever and ever and ever. Yeah. Oh yeah, and and, it's still going. Like it's, I still have a subscription. <laughs> God bless you. Good for you. <laughs> I don't have much time to read it, but I do. Um, you know, every once in a while I'll pick it up, and and it's the stories are always top notch in it. And so that was kind of that was our sort of that was our model as far as format went. You know, so our magazine's about the same size. You know, it's like a it's like a a little novel size, um, and it's so about 200 250 pages. Um, we wanted the nice cheap pulpy paper that, mm-hmm. but we actually couldn't get it in our budget. Um, it's really hard to get. <laughs> The cheap paper on a budget. No, yeah. cheap paper is way too expensive. Exactly, yeah. So, um, no, it's because it's sheet fed, so it comes off the big rolls, and you have to have a certain print run size in order to make it economical. And, you know, we're not at that print run. So, you know, we do pod printing. Um, and it's just. And, you know, in a way it turned out well because Mel ended up doing these beautiful black and white uh, illustrations for the magazine, which probably wouldn't look as stunning on uh, on pulp paper as they do on the on the clean white. Um, but, uh, yeah, and the only difference is we wanted to do all genres. So, you know, I've always felt I, I'm always a really eclectic reader. I like reading mysteries, I like reading sci-fi, I like fantasy, I like horror, I like all sorts of, you know, literary stuff. So we wanted to have a magazine that was kind of like a little smorgasbord, where you'd have a little bit of everything in every issue. Um, and, And also with the idea, like, you know, so you have people who are, say, fans of this one author. We always have sort of a feature author who's fairly well known. What we're hoping is that people will say, oh, yeah, C.C. Humphreys, I love his historical work. But then they read the magazine. It's like, oh, he's not writing a historical fiction one in this. And he wrote a like he wrote a contemporary piece for us. So it kind of it's kind of like giving people something outside their own genre, um, you know, to try and sort of expand horizons here. You know, you like you like science fiction. Well, if you're a Robert Sawyer fan, here's a fantasy story from Robert Sawyer. Um, so that was that was sort of our our sort of germ of an idea um, was to kind of break break genre boundaries, have people write outside their usual genres, and and really mix genres within the magazine. And it works really well because that's I I love what you've got here. Because um, there's like just to nail off a few here, like there was the man with the golden helmet, um, which is this in the copy that I got. It's this great story about these uh, the the Dutch masters. And then I go down a little bit further. There's another story that is pure science fiction that you might expect from someone like Isaac Asimov. And then down near the bottom, you have your Magpie Poetry Awards, which were absolutely fantastic so it's like you you there's something for everybody definitely but there's also it like you said it gives you a chance to read some other other different things and like you i like to read it more than just what sci-fi saturday night says i like to read a mystery there's a mystery in there too so it's something for me i was able to sink my teeth into that as well 
it's it's just so much fun. I love this this book. Oh, I'm so glad you so glad yeah. you enjoyed it. Yeah. And it, and it's funny because in a way, in a very weird way, uh, pulp literature is kind of your doppelganger in that it is so eclectic <laughs> in what it throws out that you're never really sure what you're going to expect when you start flipping through the pages. I you, never even thought of that. <laughs> well, well, let's take a moment and, and just kind of look at that metaphor, because I, first of all, never metaphor I didn't like, but secondly, <laughs> had to do it. Was there? Was hanging? Yes, was unfortunately. But secondly, it's the kind of thing where, when you have a writer who's also a really good jazz musician, rock musician, and, and you don't know whether to talk about their last <laughs> album or their last book. And then you find out that they're also a great illustrator. And then you find out <laughs> that they've illustrated the book that you've just finished. And at the back of the book is a CD that goes <laughs> with the book. And we've had this happen. And, we have. And, and you just kind of go, holy crap. There's your triple threat right there. And, and Jen, you know, as, 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 as we're sitting there and we're going through your stuff and I'm going, okay, what doesn't she do? I'll bet she crochets. I nah, do not, not crochet. Ha ha! Found something. <laughs> or knit. I do know how, but I don't. Oh, that's so not fair. That I is mean, so I, not I fair. I knew how because, you know, I, I like, I knew how when I was 10. I don't, you know, it would take me a long time to figure it out again. Well, there we go. Now I have something in common with you because I can knit too. So there we go. Now I feel a little bit better. <laughs> so you are in the midst of putting book three together. In I'm, I'm deep in editing at the moment. Yeah. Uh how, what hour of the day do you put aside to do that? <laughs> Good. Uh, <laughs> my my writing time, which is usually first draft time, but at the moment it's just editing time, uh, is Friday mornings. And I'm a slow writer. I really do only write once a week. Um, uh, I, I do, like, there's other times in the week where, where I will you know, you know, do other editing, like, like putting stuff together and transcribing things like that. Um, but my, my sort of creative time is Friday mornings. And I, I write uh, with Mel and Sue. And that's how we, you know, we were writing together before we started the magazine. Uh, and we do a process which is called the hour stories by Dale Adams Seagal and it's just uh, it's a way of of writing for an hour you write for 20 minutes you get a, mi a beginning a middle and an end for each 20 minute segment uh, and by the end of it you've got about a thousand words of of 
pretty good writing, I usually find. So that that is my, like I said, usually Friday mornings are my um, first draft time. And then just because I'm, I'm really trying to push to get this third book out next year, uh, lately I've just been uh, reworking it a little bit rather than writing first draft. Do not get hit in the back of the head with with a baseball bat muse <laughs> does that not happen to you sometimes and then what do you do with it um well usually i find if if an idea is good enough it will stick around till i have time for it seriously yeah wow like the ideas that that really that I can run with are ones that they bug me for a long time. I mean, I don't know, maybe if I had time to just sit and write whenever something struck me, I might be a lot more productive. Um, I, you know, I probably would be a lot more productive. A lot of writing is just, is just writing, right? Like a lot of the craft of writing comes from just having put the hours in, you know, typing stuff out or handwriting or however you do it. Um, so, yeah, if I if I had more time to write, you know, maybe I'd be a more prolific author. Um, I, you know, I've I've got I know people who put out a book every year, and I, you know, I'm envious, but I I just I don't have time for that with all the other things I do in my life. You've made that choice. Yeah. No, and that's not that's that's not a, a judgment on my part at, on my part at all. I mean. Uh, oh yeah, I know. My yeah. God, that's a great. It's it's an amazing choice <clears throat> because it's given you so many other creative outlets to be a part of and to to be not not just socially but emotionally which is freaking amazing i mean the managing editor of this this uh crazy magazine that that's uh in its own way as Oh, God, I can't even think of the word for it. Uh, as interesting as anything else. Uh, and, and and running uh, everything else that you do. do you, and, and yet you somehow, don't ask me how, because I don't get this. But somehow, you are one of the calmest people I think I've ever interviewed. <laughs> Where the hell does that come from? That's just my phone voice. <laughs> That's, I, I always sound like that on, you know, um, I used to have, I used to have people tell me that whenever I answered the phone, I sounded bored. <laughs> <laughs> no, nobody, I mean, I'm serious. You, you can't fake that. You, you really sound there's there's a sense of peace that just radiates uh, from your books, uh, 
from your words, from the way you phrase what you say, from your tonality. Where does that come from? Well, I figure, you know, if if you can't change something, there's no sense worrying about it. So, you know, I I I work to deadlines and I I really try hard to get things out on deadline. Um and but you know, sometimes if something's if something's just not happening, you know, it's like, you know, I'm not I'm I'm not a religious person at all, but I, you know, I I guess I have a sort of Zen feeling about things that that I, you know, I kind of like to take the path of least resistance. So if I'm if I'm stuck on something, I just change path and go to something else. And because I have so many things that I do. Um, I never, I, I'm never stuck because I have all, I always have something else to do. And it is, you know, I, I would, I do have too much on my plate. I fully acknowledge that I am <laughs> way overloaded and I do far too much. And I could probably do a better job of fewer, if I did fewer things. But there's just so many cool it. things to do in the world. You, that you don't, don't want to do fewer things. Exactly. Um, so I am, I, you know, I am a bit of a dilettante. I am a bit of a jack of all trades, um, but I don't want to give any any of it up because you, it's all cool. But you don't use the second half of that. You don't say jack of all trades, master of none, because when you decide that you want to do something, if you've made that decision, you decide that you're going to do it well. Yeah, yeah, I guess I guess that's true. I mean, I I don't like doing I don't like doing a half-ass job of anything. And it 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 truly shows in in the way you write, in in the jobs that you've taken on, uh, in in the sports that you've taken on and excelled at, if I may be so bold as to say, uh, in in the books that you've put out. In uh, in your magazine, uh, which you are the managing editor of Pulp Literature, uh, at some time at some point, I want to hear your music. I haven't heard any of that yet. <laughs> uh, I don't I, I don't play anymore, and we don't have any of our music up on the internet at all. I've noticed uh, that. And uh, uh, no, there's a snippet. You can get a tiny little bit of. Um, a song that I wrote on the Pulplet podcast. There's a little snippet of intro and outro music that our um, our pub- podcast editor uses, um, and she just slips that in at the beginning and end of the show. And that's a little bit of my partner and me doing a dueling guitar bit called Rock and Roll Blues. That is the only part of our music that is up on the internet. Why is that? Um, well, I, I sort of stopped doing music, uh, when I was pregnant with my first daughter, I, I did my last real gig when I was six months pregnant, um, at the Vogue theater in Vancouver, holding my guitar out to the side (laughs) around the bump. (laughs) Well, you kind of have to. Yeah. Um, and then 
you know, that became, it's, that was hard to get back to when I had little kids. It's hard to play, it's hard to play guitar when the baby's sleeping. Um, it's hard to play guitar when the babies are, you know, coming to grab the strings when you pick it up. Um, and so that was something I sort of consciously or unconsciously, a little bit of both, just let slide. And um, my partner still plays guitar. He's still in a, a covers band. Well, they haven't done anything this year, but thanks to COVID. Um, but he still records music and and writes music and builds guitars. He, he built a guitar during the pandemic. So, you know, I kind of vicariously still get music that way and I and I often do um I'm often their sound person so I'll do the sound engineering when they have gigs but uh yeah I love I love being on the stage I love singing I love you know being up there and performing um but it you know something has to give <laughs> so you can't as much as I'd like to do absolutely everything there have to be some things that you know you and that's hold. that's where I disagree <laughs> nothing has to give we need to do everything we want to do. We need to do everything we want to do. Now, seriously. Well, I think if I wanted to still to do it enough, I would. Yeah, I know. I, yeah. And I mean, I'm happy having done it, right? I had my face yeah, yeah. when we were living in London and sure. I was up there in, you know, red fishnets and belting out, you know, metal and, and uh, you know, was, and it's it's you know I wouldn't give that up having done that I wouldn't give that up for anything um, and uh, you know I still I can still sing when I'm out riding my horse and there's nobody else around. <laughs> <laughs> there are tons and tons and tons and tons and tons of people who write or who edit or who cosplay or who go beyond cosplay into actual sword play or who learn the ins and outs and the realities of 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 swordsmanship swordspersonship god there's no way getting around the gender Swords, maybe swordsmanship uh, but, is fine Man uh, is the Latin Latin uh, root is manu, which is hand. Understood. There. I'm fine with swordsmanship. <laughs> I have two daughters. I've learned how not to be an idiot. <laughs> I've learned how to try not to be an idiot. <laughs> sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Um, there are very few people who... When I ask the question, is the pen truly mightier than the sword? Uh, I actually have an answer. And I don't know if I believe them. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I must, in all honest, honesty, say, I it has been an absolute pleasure to meet you and a pleasure to talk to you about your books and your work and your vocations and your avocations and to learn about your spirit and it's 
just been fun. And I, Jen, I cannot thank you enough for taking the time out of your schedule, which God knows is busy enough because you're leaving here to go do work <laughs> uh, to come on Sci-Fi Saturday night. Thank you so much for coming on tonight. Ah, it's been my pleasure. I really enjoyed chatting with you guys. Sci-Fi Saturday Night is the official podcast of Granite Con, Plastic City Comic Con, and the Upper Valley Comic Expo. We are also sponsored by Dreamforge Magazine, a superb magazine of fantasy and science fiction, and Comic Art House. Visit Comic Art House for some of the best deals on original art from dozens of your favorite artists. And if you're looking for a really great gift book for that rapidly approaching semi-annual Fairbanks Melt Day celebration, consider a look at Sci-Fi Saturday Night's first anthology, My Peculiar Family, now on Amazon and barnesandnoble.com. My Peculiar Family, the audiobook, is available on Audible, because I'm not sure where else you could find it. Our intro production was provided by Rob Watts. For more of his amazing stuff, just look at robwattsonline.com and don't forget to try the Watts sauce we have. We love it. Our outro was provided by Lawrence Made Me Cry. You can find Lawrence Made Me Cry's music on Bandcamp and a whole lot of love to Jojo and Celine. Many thanks to the gang from his booking books. Thank you, Captain Cam. This is Dome saying, Terry and Jeannie shared pain as lessons, shared joy increased. Thus, do we all refute entropy. Better things are coming, Stacy. Stay strong, Liz. So, unless it's daytime, good night, everybody. This is my brother, Yako.